We have just finished chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, and we are beginning chapter 3. And it's so amazing that, well, it, shouldn't, it is, isn't amazing, but we talked about prayer a lot, and we always open with prayer, which is such a wonderful thing to do, because if, as you recall, those who were here last time, chapter 2 ended with prayer. And you know what chapter 2 opens with? Prayer. So prayer must be important. And Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Spirit when he wrote these words. And so uh, they weren't coming from him, but they were coming from God as the Spirit of God was moving him along and carrying him along. And uh, he wrote from God. So this is on the heart of God for us to be praying concerning matters of ministry and all other endeavors that we are engaged in. One of my favorite uh, verses is, at least it's becoming one of my favorite verses, is when the righteous cry, the Lord hears. What an encouraging statement. When the righteous cry, the Lord hears. So we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and our goal today is to cover verses 1 through 5. And I'll just read the passage first, and then we'll go through it. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Now, no doubt, many of you, if not most of you, have heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Has everybody heard of him? Many of you have. He was known as the patron saint of all Baptist preachers, also known as the prince of preachers. Spurgeon was a 19th century English preacher and pastor of New Park Chapel in London, England, which was later named the Metropolitan Tabernacle. The church held 5,000 people. That's, that's a large church. I don't think our worship center holds that many people. So that was a large church, especially in the 19th century. With no sound system, it was said that his voice could be heard by all. No sound system. I have on a mic, and this room is much smaller than that room was, or that building was. And also the story is told that a group of young ministers called on him one day to see the large preaching place. After showing them his massive sanctuary, Spurgeon offered to show them his, quote, boiler room, end quote. The guests declined, but the pastor insisted. They weren't concerned about seeing a boiler room because at that point they probably, probably didn't know what he was referring to. But he insisted that they see it. And so they went down to the basement. And when they got down there, they found out they found about 100 people in prayer. 
This, Spurgeon said with a smile, is my boiler room. You know, boiler room heats up things down there. When Spurgeon was asked the secret of his ministry, he always replied, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. This is an amazing statement. What a statement this is. Spurgeon was convinced that the prayers of his people was the key ingredient to the success of his ministry. And probably about 1,800 years or so earlier, the Apostle Paul had the same belief. He believed the same way, that a ministry, a biblical ministry, does not succeed without prayer. Paul was a very skilled man. I'm sure Spurgeon was as well. Paul was a well-educated man. He knew the law. He was able to associate and relate to people. But if you were to ask him, if, if you were around at that time and asked him, why was he so, so successful in ministry? He probably would have had the same comment as Spurgeon did. My people pray for me. And because of that, this, the Apostle Paul was not shy. He was not afraid to ask his con those who were converted as a result of his preaching and evangelism. He was not afraid. No matter how long they had been believers, no matter how short time they had been believers, he was not afraid to ask them to pray for him. And that is what this passage is about, especially the first few verses that Paul was asking and requesting, in fact, commanding the Thessalonian believers who had not been believers for that long of a period of time to pray for him. And so for his ministry, he, primarily for his ministry as well as, as himself as, and the missionaries who were with him, he was asking them to pray for him. Because in salvation, which is what he was concerned about, Paul was concerned about evangelism and spiritual growth. The Great Commission, <clears throat> basically, that's what he was concerned about. That's what, that's what his life <clears throat> excuse me, was all about. And one thing Paul knew, that God was sovereign, and he is sovereign today, in salvation. Jesus said no one, it says can, but the word really implies ability. No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Sometimes we may wonder why people don't receive and accept the gospel and embrace the gospel. Well, the answer to that question is this. They can't unless by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit of God draws them savingly to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, they cannot come to him. They cannot. They don't have the ability because people are born spiritually alive, but they also are born spiritually dead. Regeneration has to take place. Regeneration is a work of the Spirit of God, using the Word of God to give spiritual life, eternal life, to the one that God has chosen to save at that time. So God is absolutely sovereign in salvation, just as he is in everything else. The Apostle Paul understood that. Preachers today understand that. And so Paul is making a request of, the, of the, those who were converted under his ministry for prayer. Yes? 
Yes, you may ask a question. Basically, what I said is that a person is born without the ability or the capacity to embrace the gospel in a saving way. In other words, a person cannot believe in Christ or repent of their sins unless the Father who sent Jesus enables them to do so. In other words, a person cannot be saved unless God saves them. In other words, they don't have the capacity. A person has to believe in Christ, and a person doesn't have the natural ability or the natural capacity to believe in Jesus Christ unless the Father enables them to do so or gives them the faith to believe. Yes, yes. That's what we have to do. Absolutely. The Father can change their hearts. They, their hearts can be changed. Just because they may not believe in Christ now doesn't mean that they may not believe in him later on. Yeah. But s salvation is a work of God. And so that's why Paul is asking his readers here to pray for the word of God as it goes forth so that God will use that word to draw people to his son for salvation. That's why we, even as we, uh, this morning during our prayer time, uh, we prayed for the salvation of people, that God will use the gospel that has been shared and that will be shared to draw people savingly to his son. So I understand your explanation, and specifically salvation is the work of God. Now, besides the, the humans, um, they need to have faith and belief. Yes. And um, what else is required of, of them? Like your words, they don't have the capacity to. They don't have the ability on, of themselves. God grants faith, God grants repentance to those whom he has chosen to save at that moment, at that time. Okay. He grants it. And so the person who actually believes exercises the gift of faith that God has given them. And also the one who repents exercises, that's a gift also, exercises that gift to turn from their sins to Christ and to trust in him. Yes. Yeah, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 is a good uh, con con uh, context for all of them. I think it's chapter 11. It, 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 absolutely, yeah. You're so welcome. But anyway, um, let's go ahead and get into this. We can talk more as we go and also at the end as well. Notice what he says at the beginning, and I have an outline here, uh, Roman numeral one, I, I re request for prayer on their behalf. Now there, <laughs> I should have been a little bit more clear with this, 
there refers to the missionaries, Paul and his companions that are traveling with him, Timothy and, and uh, Sil Silas, Silas and Timothy. That's who there represents. Notice what he says at the beginning here. I'm going to read the first two verses. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, so that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all men have faith. Now, letter A underneath this is, the request is made. The request is made in verse 1A. Notice what it says, finally, brethren, pray for us. It literally says, finally, pray, brethren, for us. The word pray is before brethren. Because Paul wants to highlight and emphasize prayer here. Finally, pray, brethren, for us. It says the same thing, but there's an emphasis on prayer in this context right here because that's what Paul is requesting of them. Also, that's verse 1a. And also chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 25, it says something very similar. He says, brethren... Pray for us. Now, in this particular case, that is translated literally from the original text. But f finally, brethren, pray for us. This is just, the word pray is before the word brethren in our text because he's emphasizing prayer. Not that he wasn't emphasizing prayer there, but he, he, he changes it. Just the word order is just a little bit different. It says the same thing. But if you notice in 525, he, he doesn't give... Uh, the contents or the purpose, but I'm sure they understood that, that if they prayed, they, they understood who Paul was, they would probably know to pray for his ministry, which, is, which meant so much to him. Paul's ministry meant so much to him. His, that was his life. His life was proclaiming the gospel of grace, of the grace of God in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, I think it is. So here, he's making the request. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. The word translated finally doesn't necessarily mean that he's come to the end of what he's going to say. If you notice, uh, 2 Thessalonians has three chapters, and this is the third chapter. In fact, this is the first verse in the third chapter. So he still has 18 more verses to go before he ends the chapter. So basically, finally can be, mean, can be translated in different ways. It could be the end, but in this context, it's really not. It means here, for the rest. For the rest. And you also say it could be translated, besides that, this. In other words, besides what I've already said, this is what I'm going to say for the rest of my writing here, or the rest of my speech, depending on what he's doing. But in this case, his writing. And so in other words, it, it can serve as a transitional term where the writer transitions from especially the doctrinal to the practical. Because if you notice in the beginning of this chapter, especially in, verse, in chapter 2, he talks a lot about the return of Christ. He talks about the day of the Lord. He talks about the rapture. And so now he's getting to what's really practical, pray for us. He wants them to pray 
for them. And that's, that's an amazing statement. Uh, Paul was a humble man. Paul was dependent upon the grace of God operating in his life in order to carry out the ministry that God had given him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the new covenant ministry. He, he, talks, he asks a question. He says, who is adequate for this? Who is sufficient for this? Who is able of himself to conduct or carry out the requirements of the new covenant ministry? The answer, the way it's being asked, is no one. No one is able unless that person is enabled by the grace of God in order to carry it out. Just back to uh, this word, finally, you see it also in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, the same thing. He says, finally, brethren. He's not about to end that epistle because Philippians has four chapters, and this is the first verse in the third chapter. And also the same is true in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians has five chapters, as we all know, perhaps. And that's chapter 4, verse 1. So he has two more chapters to go, but he uses the word finally because he's transitioning. <clears throat> and so the practical aspects of this chapter, Brother Jordan will begin to talk about the next time that we meet. He'll be up here next time. Notice he says, now we come to the request. It is to pray for us. Paul is asking these believers to pray for him and his companions. And notice that he uses the, the present tense of this verb. It's in the um, mood of command, but it's in the present tense. In other words, what he's saying is, this is not a one and done type situation. In other words, continue to pray for us. Because he's in ongoing need, in continuing need of the prayer of the people of God. And he wants us to continue. He wanted them to continue to pray on his behalf. And he was, he's going to tell us what he wants them to pray for in a moment. But it's continuous. In fact, even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, you may recall he says, Pray how? Without ceasing. In other words, make prayer a, a, a vital aspect of your life. And that's what we should do. Prayer should be a vital aspect of the lives of every believer. We should be always praying because prayer indicates a couple of things. Number one, humility. I don't, I don't um, you know, I'm not adequate for whatever it is that I'm facing. And number two, it indicates a dependence upon God. I don't believe God ever intended to, for us to act independently of him. Because we know what happened when Eve did, right? And Adam did. He didn't, he didn't intend for that. He doesn't intend for us to act independently of him now. It doesn't matter what we are doing, whether it's ministry activity. For, in fact, for the believer, I believe that everything is ministry. No matter what you're doing, whether it's uh, like in my case, I'm a substitute teacher. I view that as a ministry because I work hard at it. <laughs> Number one, I work hard at it, and I work in dependence upon God at it. And I believe that, in fact, uh, uh, in Colossians and Ephesians, he talks about uh, working, uh, slaves being obedient to their masters and working hard, working even when the master's not around, because when you're working, you're working as unto whom? The Lord. And you'll be rewarded from him or by him. 
So we should approach everything with an attitude of prayer, with a dependency, humility upon God for the outcome. Because we cannot affect the outcome. God does. We're dependent upon him. We can work as hard as we want to. We, we cannot affect the outcome. Paul said, he sowed and Apollos watered, but who gives the growth? God does. God is the one who causes things to grow and people to grow, and people to be saved. Now, letter B, we come to the specific request. Let's read that. That, I'm kind of breaking into verse 1 here, toward the middle of it, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. What an amazing request. At this particular point in time, Paul is concerned about the word of God spreading rapidly and being glorified. He wants the word of God to spread, or the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is the gospel. That's what this is. Paul spent a lot of time evangelizing. He taught a lot as well, but he spent a lot of his ministry evangelizing. He, we're told here what Paul wanted them to pray specifically or very explicitly. And I think that this particular request gives us a glimpse into the heart of the apostle. This lets us know what's on his mind, of what was on his mind at that time. He was concerned about evangelism. He was concerned about the salvation of people. Because that's how people are saved. People are saved by the gospel. The Holy Spirit has to work in that gospel, in that person, to regenerate them. But they have to be in the, it has to be in the context of the gospel. Whether it's being proclaimed or them reading it. Somehow it has to be in that context. In order for people to be regenerated and given the capacity and enabled to believe and to repent. So that's what he's asking them to pray for. This word, translated spread rapidly, literally means to run. It means to run. Run rapidly. Run unhindered, unopposed. Now, in this particular case here, he's not asking that the gospel be unopposed, which it's not going to be. But at the same time, he's asking or making this request that even if the gospel is being opposed, which it will be, that the gospel can still, by God's grace and by his power, run, spread rapidly. He wants it to spread rapidly. And notice what Paul said in, in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down if you want to. He says this. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. To do what? To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was concerned about the gospel going forward. So he requests prayer from the saints to that end. He knew that prayer was essential to the spread of the gospel, and that the gospel spread rapidly. And he says, the word of the Lord, which means Christ's saving gospel. And notice there are two aspects of this request that Paul has here concerning the word. He wants them to pray for the success of the message, 
Notice the verse again, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. He wants the gospel to spread, to go out from wherever he is to other places. To move quickly, that's what it means as well. And Paul may have had in mind Psalm 147, because notice what it says. He, that is the Lord, sends forth his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. It's almost like indicating not only spreading, but indicating an urgency. There's an urgency to the gospel. There's always an urgency to the gospel. The gospel needs to be going forth. It needs to be going out. You know, um, a lot of time is spent in our elder meetings talking about how the gospel may go forth. Church planting. Church planting is a means by which the gospel goes forth. We think of North Lake Bible Church. That's an extension of this church, but it's an independent of this church now because they have elders in place there. But that's another means by which the gospel goes forth. People are being reached from that church that would not have been reached from this church. So Paul wants us to pray for that. Pray that the gospel will spread rapidly because people need to hear it. D. Edmund Hebert, Hebert writes it this way. He, say, he says it this way. He says, the thought is that of its swift advance in its onward course, not necessarily meaning a race unencumbered by obstacles. There will be obstacles, but God is sovereign. God is powerful. He has the power and the ability to cause his gospel to go forth even when it's being opposed, even when people don't want to hear it, even when those who are proclaiming it are being persecuted. The gospel can still go forth. So that's why God, Paul wanted those to pray for him. There's another aspect of this request as well. Notice at the end here, probably in the middle of the verse, and be glorified. Paul wanted the gospel to be glorified. He wanted the gospel to be honored. He wanted the gospel to be acknowledged for what it really is a saving message of God, a saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's an illustration of this in Acts chapter 13. And there's one in our text as well, not in our text necessarily, but in, in context of what we've been talking about in Thessalonians. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13, where we have a clear illustration of the gospel being glorified. Acts chapter 13. The background here is that Paul and Barnabas were in Pisidian Antioch. They were in the Galatian region, southern Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. And they had been preaching in the synagogue at Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, not Antioch of Syria. This is a different one. And notice verse 44, chapter 13. For, uh, chapter, ver, uh, chapter 13, verse 44. Yes, sir. He says, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, the gospel. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. 
In other words, they were opposing the gospel. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Notice verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as they had been, and let me start over, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. This is how the word of God is glorified. It is glorified by those who have been appointed unto eternal life and believing it. The word of God is glorified, being glorified. And also, as they believe it, we have a verse in a moment we'll talk about that the lives are transformed. We're seeing the transforming power of the gospel operative in people's lives, especially in the lives of those who believe it. And notice verse 49 here. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Perhaps the region here means the Galatian region, which we, in this, whole, this chapter, chapters 13 and 14 of Acts, they talk about these cities, Antioch, um, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. These were the cities that Paul and Barnabas primarily evangelized in, and they planted churches there. They also appointed elders in those cities as well. So Paul is requesting prayer on their behalf from the saints in Thessalonica, primarily in this particular part here of the, for the message of, the, of the, the word of the Lord that it would go forth and spread rapidly and accomplish the purpose to which God is sending it. So this, I think, is a good illustration of that. And also, at the end of this verse, he says, just as it also did with you. You remember when Paul and, and, and Silvanus, as he was called in Acts, and Timothy went to Thessalonica, and they preached the gospel there? It was well received by many. The gospel was well received by many, and they were aware of that. They were aware that the gospel was being well received by many, even though there, were opposite, there was opposition to it. But the gospel was glorified there because many believed. Not only did they believe, but they lived out this gospel as the gospel commands us to do. So let's look at some verses here. Let's look at verse, um, chapter 2, verse 13. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, think, I think it's First Thessalonians. Let's turn to First Thessalonians. Yeah, I didn't write it down, but chapter 2, verse 13. I'm glad you asked that. Chapter 2, verse 13. First Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13. I'm sorry. <laughs> For some reason, I didn't write the book down. Thank you, sir. But anyway, notice what it says. This is First Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, for this reason... Paul is speaking here. We also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, and Paul is kind of interchanging between the word of the Lord and the word of God, which you heard from us. 
This is when they first went there to Thessalonica. This is, that's recorded in chapter uh, 17 of the book of Acts. He says, you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. How? Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And notice what it does, which also performs its work in you who believe. The word of God or the word of the Lord here is being glorified. That's why Paul said at the end of this verse, just as also it was with you. It was being glorified among them because they received it, they accepted it, and then they, it was performing its work in their lives and it's being glorified. We can look at some other verses. Let's look at, we're still in 1 Thessalonians, even in chapter 1. Notice verse 6. This is the people who had just received it and accepted it and were changed by it. Notice what it says. You also became imitators of us and the Lord. The, the word of God is being glorified here. They were imitating the apostles and they were imitating the Lord, which means they were living lives consistent with the character of Christ. The word of God is being glorified. Notice that verse 7. So that you became a, an example for all, to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The word of God was being glorified. These people who were, who were new believers were living in such a way, the word of God was so operative in their lives that they became like a model church. They became examples to all those in Macedonia. Uh, Philippi was in Macedonia, which a church was planted in Philippi, which was also in the province of Macedonia, even before the church at Thessalonica, even before the gospel reached them. And in Achaia, which is where Corinth is, which is where Paul wrote this letter from, which is where he is at this time, even there, they were an example to all those churches because the word of God was operating in their lives, and as a result of that, it was being glorified. Verse 8 of chapter 1, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. The word of God is being glorified. That's why he said, just as also it was among you. This is, this is some of the activity that's taking place among them, signifying that the word of God is being glorified among them. Our prayer and our desire should be that it's being glorified in Countryside Bible Church and all the other churches that or like-minded, that the word of God would be glorified. In other words, it's having its intended effect on the lives of those who have received it and believed it. Now Paul has a second part, prayer, uh, there's a second part to this request, and I need to speed it up a little bit. This is number three under letter B. And that's verse 2. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. For all have, for all, for not all have faith. So Paul, first of all, Paul is requesting prayer for the success of the message. Now he's requesting prayer for the safety of the messengers. 
the messengers would be rescued from unbelieving, hostile men. <clears throat> the verb rescued here denotes that there's danger at the moment. In other words, Paul and his companions were in, in danger at this particular point in time. And he wanted, he wanted them, he wanted the uh, believers in Thessalonica to pray that they would be rescued from that. Let's, uh, we need to look at chapter 18 of Acts, verse 6. Paul is in, Paul and his companions at this point in time are actually in Corinth. This is where this letter was written from. This is where Paul was when he wrote this letter. So let's go to Acts now. Acts describes to a great extent what was actually going on in Corinth when Paul and his companions were there. Let me just kind of give a little trail here. Paul, when he first got to Macedonia, which is a, was a Roman province, he went to Philippi. He proclaimed the gospel there. People were saved. He planted a church there. Then he was run out of town, and then in prison, in prison, and so forth, beaten um, illegally. And then he left, and then he went to Thessalonica. He preached the gospel there. People were saved, planted a church there. Again, the Jews acted contrary to the gospel, and it wasn't safe for him any longer. So he left and went to Berea. Some of the same Jews who were hostile toward him in Thessalonica went down to Berea and ran him from there as well. Then he went to Athens. Now he's in Corinth. That's kind of his trail in, in the uh, second missionary journey, his path. And so now he's in Corinth in chapter 18 of, of uh, Acts that talks about it. So let's look at verse 6 in chapter 18 of the book of Acts. Notice what's going on. He says, but when they, this refers to the unbelieving Jews, when they resisted and blasphemed, that's a pretty strong word. That means that they were speaking against the gospel. They were speaking against the message. He, Paul, shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So when Paul would go into a city, the first thing that he would look for was a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. And he, if there was one there, he would go in there because they had perhaps the Septuagint. They were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And so he would go in there, and usually during those days, there were proselytes to Judaism, Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. They would be in there as well. And then there were some who had not fully uh, come around to being a proselyte, he would, uh, they would be there as well. So he would preach the gospel to them. Usually when a traveling rabbi went to a, a synagogue, those who were in charge of the synagogue would allow him to speak. And so Paul had a chance to speak when he went to the synagogue. And he would use, usually he would use the Septuagint or the Old Testament, the, the uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and he would speak the gospel there concerning Christ and salvation. So he was run out of that synagogue, but he had a place that he went to. And now let's notice verse 12 of chapter 18 of Acts. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the province of Achaia, which is where Corinth was, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul 
and brought him before the judgment seat. They brought him before the judgment seat. They were speaking against him, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But Gallio didn't really accept this or pay it any attention because it wasn't concerning matters that he's more concerned about. So he said, hey, you take care of that yourself. Now, this was probably after this event here was probably after Paul had written this letter. But you can, get the, you can see the idea of the sense here that this is the kind of hostility that Paul was facing in Corinth. There were believers in Corinth, but there was also quite a bit of hostility against Paul and his companions while they were there as well. So Paul was requesting prayer on their behalf that they would be rescued from these kinds of men. The enemies are described uh, with two adjectives, as perverse and evil men. The term perverse is a negative term, and it usually refers to things. But in this particular case, it it refers to people. It could mean something out of place or placeless. But in an ethical sense, that is when it refers to people, as it, is, as it does here, it refers to people that are improper, wicked, perverse, monstrous, outrageous, and capable of very harmful conduct. There's no wonder that Paul prayed that God would rescue them, that they would be rescued from these kinds of people. They were capable of very harmful conduct. The second description, which is evil, is more passive, more passive badness, but rather is, is more than passive badness, but rather active malice. It pitches the vicious, destructive disposition of the enemies. The first adjective describes their conduct, the second, their character. And they were capable of inflicting harm upon Paul and his companions. So they're requesting prayer on behalf of their safety, that they will be rescued out of that. And at the end of this verse, he says, for not all men and not all have faith. These were the unbelievers. These were the non-Christians. You know what their aim was? To silence the messengers. Their aim was to silence the messengers. And Paul was requesting prayer that God would rescue them or the Lord would rescue them from these kinds of people because they didn't want to be silent. They did not want to be silent. They didn't want to be silenced. They they wanted the word of God to go forth. Destructive disposition of the enemies. There will always be opposition to the gospel. But I, I read it, I think, last week, and I'm just going to read this again because what we need to know and to understand and to believe in and trust in is that this is God's work. And God is the one who will see to it that his work is accomplished. If his, his, that his ministry and his ministry for us will be accomplished, will be carried out. And notice, in, I, I read this, this is one of, my, one of my favorite verses as well now. Job chapter uh, 42, I'm in Psalm, Job chapter 42, notice what he says. 
Then Job answered the Lord and said, this is verse 1, I know that you can do all things. Did you hear that? Job said he knew that the Lord could do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No matter what the opposition is. No matter how strong the opposition is against the will of God, what God has determined to do, God will accomplish it. We can be certain of that. God will accomplish his purposes. It cannot be thwarted. No one can prevent God from accomplishing what he has determined to accomplish. He will accomplish it. Roman numeral 2, the pastor's confidence concerning the progress of the Lord's people. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 again. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. It's interesting here how at the end of the last verse, at the end of verse 2, it says not all have faith, right? Not all are trusting in the Lord. He contrasts, look at the word but in verse 3, beginning of verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. You see the, uh, the difference here? Men, many men don't have faith. They're not faithful. They're not trusting. But the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Now let's go back to, you may already be there, but I need to go back to 2 Thessalonians. If we look at verse, if we look at chapter 2, verse um, 17. Look at chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 17. Paul is praying here that the Lord will comfort and strengthen. You see that word strengthen? That's the same word that's in verse 3 of chapter 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen. That is, he's going to strengthen you on the inside. Notice uh, he will strengthen, in, in verse 17 of chapter 2, he will strengthen your hearts. That is, the inner man, your inner being, your inner core. He will strengthen that. He will establish that. He will make that firm. In fact, that word that's used here, and I heard it this morning, is our word that, which is translated steroids. Steroids, and that's in both places, that's the word that's translated steroids in our English language. That he's going to strengthen you, he's going to firm you, and he's going to build you up on the inside. And notice what he's going to do on the outside. This is inside and outside. And he will protect you from the evil one. He's going to surround you with an invisible barrier that will not allow the evil one to destroy you. So he's going to build you up on the inside, and he's going to protect you on the outside. So we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be overly anxious and concerned about. Because the Lord is faithful. Even in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 24, uh, chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also 
bring it to pass. Or he will do it. He will bring it to its intended end. Its intended purpose. The Lord himself will consummate what he has begun. He will do it. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Only if God is if God alone saves you can you have a sure hope. Sure hope. To, to, forever. Forever, and yes. If you're involved with it, uh, and you are by faith and repentance, mm-hmm. you get from God. Yes. If you somehow or another fail, uh, then how could you ever be sure that it's going to last? Exactly right. Yes, yes. Even in our lesson last time, um, uh, God... Uh, he's the one who will bring us to glory. We talked about that. Verse 14 of chapter two, uh, 2 of 2 Thessalonians. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those whom God has determined to save, he will save. Not only will he save them, he will keep them saved. And then he will bring us to glory at the, at the coming of Christ in the rapture or at the resurrection we are kept by God we're kept by Christ he will hold us fast he will hold me fast he will hold you fast he will keep you he will not allow you to fail ultimately God is the one who will bring us to glory at the proper time so we can have confidence in him And we can be about his ministry, fulfilling the ministry that he's given us to be engaged in at this time. He will take care of us. Notice um, verse 4. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Did you you hear that? We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. This word uh, about you or for you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. In other words, it is the Lord who will continue to cause you to be obedient to his word. I like the way, um, (laughs) we don't go there that often, but the Apostle John in uh, 3 John and 2 John, let's just turn over there for a moment. 3 John, it's after... 2 John, which is after 1 John. We know where it is now since Tom has been preaching from it for a little while. Notice what the the aged one, the aged apostle says about obedience or walking in the truth. It brings the pastor much joy. One of the greatest joys that a pastor could have is to know that the flock over which he is shepherding or or over which which he's overseer of is walking in the truth. Notice what John says in 3 John, verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children, to hear of my children walking in the truth. That means obedience. That means obedience to the word of God. In, in, in 2 John, his second letter, he says, out verse 4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. 
It brings great joy to the pastor's heart to know that the flock that he is shepherding is walking in obedience to the truth of the word of God. There's some more verses that, that, that I have in my notes here, but our time is running out. I wrote down 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Um, chapter 2, verse 13, which we read, and 14. Chapter 4, verse 9, and verse 10a. Also, Paul has confidence in the spiritual growth of the Lord's people. Notice verse 5, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. The, the word direct here is a key word. It means clearing a path or removing all the obstacles out of the way. And there's a, a verse also in 1 Thessalonians uh, that my wife used to pray a lot. Um, chapter 3, verse 11 in 1 Thessalonians. Um, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. Because Paul at this time was separated from the Thessalonian believers. He wanted to see them. He longed to see them. He wanted to be among them. But he couldn't at this time. So he's praying for that. So, that he may direct us how? Direct our hearts into the love of God. The love of God here could mean one or two things or both. It could mean God's love for us, for his people, or our love for him. And it probably means both in this context. And into the steadfastness of Christ. In other words, before I get that, so that we will love him more. As we understand his love more, as we grow in greater understanding of his great love for us, we will be inclined to love him more and to love his people more. And, he says, into the steadfastness of Christ. This refers to endurance. In fact, this word is translated from hupomone, which means endurance. Christ endured while he was on this earth. It says into the steadfastness or endurance of Christ. He endured much hostility against himself from sinners. But he, he stood fast. He remained steadfast. He continued to be obedient to the word of God. He continued to walk in the truth. And that's the way God wants us to be. That's the way Jesus wants us to be. To be able to bear up and maintain our spiritual walk in obedience even during adversity and difficult times when people are opposing us. That we may grow in the steadfastness or the endurance of Christ. The patience of Christ. And Paul is confident, confident that because of the faithfulness of the Lord, Jesus Christ, because of his faithfulness to his people, he will cause us and enable us to do that. What a great Savior. That our Savior will fulfill his purpose for us in a hostile environment 
This world is hostile to the gospel. It's in opposition to the gospel. We are saved out of this world through the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And the Lord himself will keep us. He will keep us in the truth and walking in his ways, being obedient to the commandments of Scripture. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this lesson today. We thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that even in eternity past, you chose us to be in Christ. You chose us to be holy and blameless before you. In love, you predestined us to adoption as sons. And Father, you also destined us for glory. And you will accomplish that in its proper time in our lives. We're so thankful for that. Father, may we continue to trust you. May we continue to walk in your ways. May we continue to seek opportunities to spread the gospel, to share the gospel with those that you bring across our paths, that they may hear the saving truth, the saving message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that you promised to strengthen us on the inside, protect us on the outside, to keep us from the destructive forces and aims and purposes of the evil one. We know that he's like a roaring lion seeking to devour us, to destroy us, to render us ineffective in your kingdom. Father, we pray that you would stay his hand and that we may continue in your grace, proclaiming your gospel, walking in your word, the truth. And may you be, continue to be glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.